Okay, go on to church. So thank you. I, I want to, I want to admit something here this morning. Um, in in a, in a few minutes, uh, what we're going to talk about um, feels a little bit to me like I might be meddling. So um, I'm going to call on all the goodwill that's been built up over the three times I've met the most of you. Uh, and, uh, but I want you to know how I feel about this church, genuinely how I feel about it. You've heard me talk about Daniel and Kayla and what a special couple they are and, and, uh, and how fortunate this church is to have them and reflects them in so many ways. But we, we were talking uh, before the service, my wife and I, that this is the place we've invited the most people to. You know, we've been here in the area almost 20 years, but we have invited people coming and experience and be a part of this. And so I look out and I see a couple of faces that uh, are here as a result of that. And so um, I just want to affirm if you're new, watching online, you need to be a part of this place. It will, uh, it's always hard to get connected initially, but if you stay at it, um, you will not be sorry. Uh, you and those you care about can be ministered to here. So um, it's a privilege to be in this, this series as, as well. This idea of you in five years, uh, w- what that means, is probably easy to look out and say, here's what I'd like to be true about me and about my life in five years. You can kind of set that compass pretty well. But when you're trying to connect those goals, that idea to the clock, to today, what can I do today that's going to advance my life so that in five years I have a better chance of, of being the me that I want to be? There is no better place to go in Scripture, I think, than the book of Proverbs, this, this book of wisdom. A, a proverb is, something, is, is simply a principle that's generally true. And, and what's interesting is if you look at the principles, the Proverbs, and you ask what context are they lived out in, most frequently what you're going to see is they're lived out in relationship with other people. And so we're going to take a look at that today. We're going to dive into this idea of what, how we can consider um, our relationships in some, in some particularly focused ways. My wife and I uh, took a vacation a couple uh, weeks ago, and we went to Yosemite. And we stayed right there in Curry Village. If you've been there, you all know where it is. It's a spectacular place right at the base of Half Dome. And one morning I was sitting out there just thinking about this, this valley that uh, is, is believed to be, have been carved out by a glacier that's sort of moved through slowly over time and, and left in its wake this, this spectacular place. And I was thinking about the difference between uh, earthquakes and, and glaciers. Um, in California, we know earthquakes well, right? And what's different between an earthquake and a glacier is an earthquake happens quickly, and it's generally over pretty fast, and then we sort of go about putting our lives back together uh, and putting places, things back where they got moved from in the earthquake. But a glacier is different in that it moves through slowly, so it's, it's not quite as noticeable, but in its wake, the change is vastly different. It, it doesn't get put back together. Now, if we use those analogies to think about our lives right now, the culture, the time in which we live, um, we can consider events and ask the question, is this an earthquake event that will end up getting past and putting things back together? Are we indeed a part of a time where there's a, a glacier, perhaps of change, that's moving through that will leave us indelibly marked and changed as a result. So there's a lot of sort of current events we could, we could think about 
uh, in relationship to that. But I'm convinced that a few glaciers have sort of made their way through uh, American culture in the last 50 plus years that have left us uh, forever change. And, and one of them is how our relationships have been altered, generally speaking, but specifically uh, our relationships as friends. They're different now than they once were 50 years ago. Robert Putnam, a Harvard political science professor, wrote a book he titled Bowling Alone, The Collapse and the Revival of, American, of the American Community. And his thesis is that there's been a fraying in America of the social fabric over the last several decades. And his, his title is taken from the idea that if you go to a bowling alley, you'll see more people bow, bowling, but less people participating in leagues. That we, we sort of individualized even something like uh, bowling. And what is most cited from his research is that we currently now today, where you and I stand, we have fewer friends in our lives than any generation uh, that has come before us. Now, while the Bible doesn't have a specific chapter on, on friendship to speak of, it gives us plenty to think about, right? There's a lot of examples of good friends in Scripture. There's Job's friends who came and tried to be what Job needed in the midst of that. Uh, you, you can have your, your opinions about whether they did a good job or not, but at least he had friends in his life. You've got Jonathan and David, this friendship that was this loyalty that, it, in, as friends, that transcended even family relationships, or even the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas. So there's a lot of examples of friendships, but I, I love the fact that we're looking at that out of the book, this out of the book of Proverbs, Solomon's wisdom on friendship, and what a good one should look like. And so on our way to doing that, I'm going to define a couple of things uh, today just to help us uh, I'm, I'm, I want to show you a graphic of these sort of ever uh, smaller concentric circles and, and talk about relationships. I'm, I'm going to, if you'll allow me to, I'm going to call your friendships, they're going to fit in one of these four levels, the current people that are in your life right now, right? Out of the seven plus billion people in the world, you have some level one friendships. I define a level one friendship as those you have some nominal relationship with, their acquaintances, their business associates, uh, their, their neighbors perhaps. You know them well enough that when you see them, you recognize their face, you wave at them, wave at them, you may or may not remember their names, but you're friendly. You're not friends, but you're friendly. Uh, research would tell us that we can probably handle and our lives probably swirl around a, as much as a couple thousand of, of these kind of relationships, level one relationships. Level two relationships is, is a slightly smaller uh, ring that's made up of people you know and you know more about. These are ones you probably know their name. You also know the context in which they fit. I know them because they are my golf buddy. I, I know them because uh, they're my neighbor. I know them because I talk to them at church. So there's a, a, a sense of a little bit uh, better familiarity Research will say you can handle about 150 of these kinds of relationships in your life. A level three relationship would be what we would call good friends, all right? These could be college roommates, old uh, teammates that you, you were, uh, played a 
a, a sport with, old, old best friends. You don't necessarily see them that much anymore, but if you did, you would be able to sort of pick up right where, they, where you left off. And there's a sense of, of you've, you've crossed some sort of chasm and you know you're going to be good friends uh, the rest of your life, even if you don't see them often. Research would tell us that we've probably got about 10 to 30 people that fit in, in this category. Level four friends, what I'll just define as the highest, I used to call this the 2 a.m. friends, the people that you could call at 2 a.m. in the morning and you know that they would be there for you. In fact, they're, they're such good friends that if you didn't call them at 2 a.m., they might be offended. You don't put a, a game face on when you're with these people. You don't use the same kind of filters that you might use in other conversations with these relationships. They affirm you and they challenge you. You can count on them being there for you when you really need someone. At most, you're going to have two to three people that fit this level four relationship. Research would say most women have at least one, and many men will go through their entire adult lives without any friend that fits the category just described. Proverbs 12, 26 says this, the righteous choose their friends carefully. They realize what's at stake in their relationships. And let me do one more thing before we dive straight into the book. Let me give you a definition of what friendship is. It's a word we, get, we, we use, you know, even just meeting somebody for the first time, we might say, hi, friend. As it's, it's meant to be warm, but as a result, maybe it gets diluted a little bit. So let me try to keep a little bit higher definition for us this morning. Here's, here's what I'm going to give you. A, a friend is a trusted person with whom we have mutual affection and to whom we allow unique access for God's glory. All right, so, so we'll, we'll leave that up on the screen for a second for you, and, and let me break it down. I underlined what I think are the key words. A trusted person. All right, this is somebody you have learned to trust. When you tell them something, it doesn't end up on a, a Facebook post. You can count on them to keep a confidence. You have a mutual affection with them. What I mean by this is you chose them, but they also chose you. So there's choosing going on both ways. You weren't put together just by circumstances alone. We all have yearbooks where friends have written in them, hey, we'll be friends forever. And you, you read that and you go, who was that again? Because you were put together in the context of school or whatever it was, and you, you just don't have that relationship of mutual affection, no intentionality. All right. Third, to whom you allow unique access uh, other people may have your contact information, but it's different with a friend. This is someone who doesn't have to check with you to reach out, to call, to come by unannounced. All right, so you've got a trusted person with whom you have mutual affection and to whom we allow unique access for God's glory. That's what sets it apart if you're a follower of Jesus is that you want your life and all your relationships to help you live your life for God's glory. So I'm not saying necessarily that all your friends follow Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that by being with them, you know that you're able to better follow Jesus as a result of that relationship. All right, so that's the definition we're looking at. When Proverbs 
talks about friendships, it's not talking about level one and level two friendships. Proverbs is talking about level three and level four friendships when it gives us things to consider. Now, this pandemic, history will have to tell us if it's an earthquake or if it's a glacier, what's gone on these last two years. But one of the things we all have experienced is a shift in our relationships, haven't we? Uh, maybe you, like me, have been ghosted more than at any other point in, in your life. Um, but you know there's a change going on. There's been sort of a, 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 a galvanizing of certain things and certain values. And so the book we're going to look at is a, a book that helps us know how to be a better friend um, and, and most specifically how to choose a better friend. Proverbs 13.20 says this, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. What it's saying is you're going to become like those you spend the most time with. It's just a matter of of human nature. And, And friends that you choose will fall into one of two categories, generally speaking. They will either help you, in the life that you want to live, and the you that you want to be, or they will, they will harm you. They will take you away from that. And so there are unavoidable consequences, and with good friends, you will grow into this thing called wisdom that we're trying to pursue. Now, I'm not talking about choosing people that only agree with you. More than any other time in our history, I think that needs to be said. Right? Not just finding people that agree with you on whatever the issue may be. Not just those that have come to the same conclusions even you have about Jesus. But those that, by being with them, will help you live the life, your one and only life that you want to live. And so we're going to look at some characteristics of friendships. I'm going to give you, um, I think i got five or six, I forget. Uh, I'll start negative first just because that's how the book presents some of the negative characteristics of a bad friend. The first is this, there are counterfeit friends. Proverbs says there are counterfeit friends and you may not know they're counterfeit until it becomes too late. Proverbs 19.4 says it this way, wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest of friends, even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. Describing someone who's in relationship with someone because of what they can do for them, in this case with wealth, and, and then when the need is really there, they, they, they're deserted. The only thing I can come close to in experiencing this is, is having served as a pastor for uh, a lot of years, and, and in particular about 14 years at, at one church here in the area, first time we've left the church and then stayed in the area, And I was sort of surprised. Others told me this would happen, but I was sort of surprised that some of the relationships that I thought, oh, yeah, we're we're good friends, it just kind of faded. You know, suddenly I wasn't in their world anymore. Uh, Suddenly it didn't, you know, it just, just, we didn't connect anymore. And I I, I have to be honest and say I felt a little disappointed in, in some of those relationships. There's that dynamic that whether it's the more money you make or the more power that you have or the more celebrity that you gain, more people want to be your friend. People want to be seen with you. People want to be able to drop your name. People want to be able to to use some of your resources. And they aren't being a friend, 
they're really in love with the things that they now have greater access to by being with you. Now, really cynical, I know, but listen to this. Look at this kind of sad picture in Proverbs uh, 19, a couple verses down. Many, many curry the favor with a ruler, and everyone is a friend of one who gives gifts. The poor are shunned by all their relatives. How much more do their friends avoid them? Though the poor pursue them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. It describes this transactional analysis or relationship and dynamic that can happen in relationships that we need to pay attention to. Some of you who are very generous, not maybe with money, but also maybe very generous with your time or with your talent, um, or, or if you're not careful, you can find yourself gathering people who would love to take advantage of that aspect, and you could look at them as your friends and yet realize at a time of real need, they may, may not, in fact, be there. Now, does what I'm saying sound unchristian that we, I'm not saying we shouldn't be generous with our time and with our resources, but what I am saying is if you've got too many of these kind of people in your life, it's easy to become cynical in relationships. It's, it's hard to have the margin that you need to have to build the kind of relationships that we all uh, need and desire. There are those who uh, sort of prey on others. Now, I want to stop here and say, if somebody has come to your mind, as, as we've looked at this first one, uh, and you want to ask me the question, perhaps, am, am I trying to get you to cut them out of their life? And I think I want to say, yes, a little bit. I, I, not to abandon them, but to recognize what it is so you can uh, have the desire and the margin to go after a real friend. So I, I want to, true confessions. I was not a good friend. I wasn't taught, didn't learn. How, wherever friendship learning comes from, I, I was not it. Um, and it wasn't because I was a user. I didn't demand a lot from other people. It was really because I just let people choose me. I never cho chose them. And as a result what I considered to be just kind of an in-the-moment sort of guy that I was, actually was experienced by others as being pretty self-absorbed and, and disengaged. And then I married a woman who has friends that she still connects with from grade school. And I watched this model of what it means to actually give yourself to a relationship and, and, and as a result began to develop what were things other than these sort of counterfeit friends. So that's the first. The second, there are toxic friends, Proverbs describes, in, in several different ways. People in your lives that are toxic. It's a strong word, but let's just take a look at what Proverbs says. These are not ones that are going to respond to boundaries uh, like maybe a counterfeit friend. Th these are ones that may have to be uh, cut out of our lives altogether. Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict. And a gossip separates close friends. The, the word gossip there is actually a word that can be translated whisperer. So this is like a friendship whisperer. Somebody who just loves taking what gets shared with them and, and whispering it uh, to someone else. This is the type of friend that on some level you know that when you tell them something, you're not only telling them something, but you're telling everybody that they talk to something. That you're, you're suddenly now, you are exposed as a result of this person in your life. These are ones in your lives that always seem to be at the epicenter of relational drama. Somehow they get there. 
That's what's being described here. This is a, a, a toxic sort of relationship. Here's a second toxic dynamic. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Here's what I think is being said there. This is the idea of having a friend in your life that knows how to cover over an offense. Someone who doesn't want to hammer you with the mistakes that you've made. One of the reasons I think today we've gotten so separated and become so hyper-tribal about so many different things is because somewhere along the line, we've determined that one of the highest values and virtues in our lives is to be right. And so we take this sense of rightness and tell everyone else around us what they need to do and how they need to think in order for them to be right like, like we are right. That's the dynamic. If there's a person in your life who can't nuance that, who can't hold their strong convictions without, without having to batter you with them, without letting some stuff go that they might want to correct you on. All right, here's another example. Uh, um, I'm going to try not to use too many negative examples of myself, but there are many <laughs> alongside this. But um, Nellie and I will come home at the end of the day, both of us having worked really hard, and I, I, if I've had a hard day, I can be irritable. I, it's, I can be short with her. I can um, you know, subtly torment our excuse for a dog, and I can be pretty surly at times. And Nellie doesn't come with chapter and verse to point out to me how unchristlike I'm being in that moment. She realizes I just, you know, may need a little space or a little encouragement or whatever it is. And we do this with our children, right? Our children at times have meltdowns. And, and when they have meltdowns, we don't come to them with a lecture from the Sermon on the Mount. They just sometimes just need a nap or they just need a, a, a little space. And so do we. So if you can't nuance truth-telling in, in, in the value of it, knowing when it's time to maybe bring the hammer and when it's time to let it go, then that can become a toxic dynamic in a relationship. Here's another example of toxicity. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-four. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. You have those angry people in your lives. They just seem to be always hostile. They're always sort of giving half the peace sign in traffic, right? They're just kind of, they're, they're, they're just angry all the time. And you find yourself when you're with them getting just churned up with it. I, I believe anger is one of the emotions most easily sort of caught um, in, in our lives, and, and we assimilate it, and it begins to affect, affect us. And we find ourselves with those kind of friends maybe excusing their bad be, behavior. And the reality is those relationships are toxic. So they're toxic friends. Maybe you're like me, you're going to find yourself going back and forth as you hear these things, evaluating yourself as well as evaluating your relationships. So there are counterfeit friends that are described in Proverbs, they're toxic friends. Here's a third one. There are demanding and unreliable friends. Demanding and unreliable. Let's look at demanding first. Proverbs 25, verse 17. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you, and they will hate you. Now that sounds kind of 
kind of harsh. I, I like what the message has done with it, with this paraphrase. When you find a friend, don't outwear your welcome. Understand the dynamic of too much. There are friends in our lives that are the we need to do everything together kind of friends. Uh, oh, you went to see that movie? I wanted to see that movie, right? Uh, you, you worked out? I wish you would have called me so we could have worked out together. You're wearing shorts. Why didn't you tell me you're going to wear shorts? As if friendship is about dressing uh, together. These <laughs> people that when they call you and they say, hey, what are you doing? And you hear yourself saying, I'm doing some physics research right now, just because you know if you tell them you're not doing anything, <laughs> they're just going to want to be together. Let's, well, let's hang out, right? So there's this sense of too much in a, in a relationship, too much uh, wrapped around each other. Ever watch the movie, What About Bob? Yeah, I think there's some real uh, scriptural principles in, in that. These aren't evil or mean friends. These aren't toxic relationships that necessarily have to be cut out. They're just too much. And you need to sort of put some boundaries on them. When someone is texting you and then emailing you, then calling to see if you got their text and email, and you realize... <laughs> This may be a relationship that is um, so demanding, it may be less than healthy for me to have or for me to be. All right, demanding, here's the second, unreliable. Proverbs 25, 19. Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. Like abscess in your tooth that keeps you from wanting to bite down on it. Or like a broken bone in your foot that keeps you from being able to put your full weight down upon it. There are those that you just can't trust to be there when you need them. It's just not solid. If you need something in crisis, if you need something in in support, a difficult time, and you find yourselves not calling them, that might be a tell to you that you have experienced them as less than reliable. Proverbs 25.20. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Because this is just another nuanced way a relationship can be uh, unreliable. It, uh, this, this, when a person who is always up, who, who can't seem to sit with you in your pain, um, you're probably not going to call them in those difficult times of your life. My kids identified, here I go again, my kids identified this dynamic in me, that I have this need to sort of balance everything to the positive. So when, they're go, when they're talking about hard stuff in their life, that my tendency was to always say, oh, you just broke up with your girlfriend? Well, I just can't wait to see what God has for you next, right? And I have this up, I'm excited, but I, I don't sit with them in the pain. I want to bring it to the positive. You know, at least you have your health kind of statement that we give out there. Uh, some of your friends are great to do fun things with, but they're not the kind of friend you need when you're going through uh, the pain, when a, a relative gets that difficult diagnosis and you, you know you need someone that will just sit with you uh, in that time. So they can be demanding, relationships can be unreliable, so can we. That's some negative. Let me give you a couple of positive characteristics. There are devoted and reliable friends. Listen to how Proverbs describes them in in verse 17 of chapter 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time 
of adversity. For some of you now, you call different friends than you once did because you've gone through hardship in your life and it sort of burned through the reality of your relationships. It's not that you've cut a person out of your life. You might still vacation with them, but suddenly uh, the, the economy, the, the dynamics have changed. Proverbs 18.24 says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Those stick close to friends are few, and they're not counted in the hundreds. They're counted in, and not even in double digits, they're counted in just one, two, maybe three. I've got a friendship with a couple of guys. As I said, I didn't start till later in life, begin to invest, but now the friendship tracks over close to 40 years now that we have been <clears throat> friends together. <clears throat> this week I was uh, thinking about a, a difficult situation and I called um, one of them and we talked and I got off the phone and I realized just how much I love these guys. Just how much the appreciation for what we've kind of built over a long period of time just sort of welled up in my heart. And I'm in the process of building trying to build some new relationships even at this stage of life. We're looking for devoted and for reliable friends. Here's a final characteristic. There are iron friends. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Or Proverbs 27, 6 says it differently. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Some of you won't allow for this kind of category of friendships in your life, perhaps. The kind of friendship where someone's going to challenge you uh, to be more than you've settled for in your life. You've either learned to declare that that's not allowed, it's out of bounds to do that, or you may have even separated yourself from someone altogether when it does happen. An iron friend must occasionally hurt me not to demean me, not to wound me, but to help and to heal me. The book of Psalms, also in the wisdom literature of the Bible, in, in Psalm 141, verse 5 says this, Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. One of the greatest, richest resources I have is I know that there are a couple of guys that know me beyond whatever I might want to let other people see. And they want the best for me. And as a result, they will say some hard things to me. That doesn't just happen. You have, to, you have to work at that. We're all broken people. And if you think about it, we come close to relationships. Our brokenness is going to show up. And we got to talk about it. You want a friend that can talk about your brokenness with you. So, so Eden, are you with me? Okay, does this discourage you a little bit at all? I hope not. Um, I hope that this energizes you to begin to imagine the kind of person that God could develop you into if you went carefully, strategically about the relationships uh, of your life. You thought carefully about what it's going to take to invest and what it's going to take to allow others to invest in you. I don't want you to pull back from your current friends. That's not the point of this talk. It's rather to point out that there are very real consequences 
very real consequences to friendships. We need to go after those friends. So I want to give you three questions to consider as we wrap up. The first is this. Who is a friend that you need to spend less time with? Maybe they're, they're toxic. You've been burned a couple of times now. You're hoping that they'll get better. You're hoping that'll change. They continue to pursue you, and so you continue to allow uh, a lot of time spent. Maybe they're fun, but they're unreliable. We are shaped by the people we spend time with. Second question. Who is a friend do you need to find more time with? Who is that friend that perhaps hasn't been the friend that you naturally have the most time in, but when you go away from being with them, you've learned something. You've been challenged uh, by their thinking. Or maybe just go away with this sense of joy that you didn't have before you spent time uh, in their presence. How intentional can you be about getting more time with these people? There's plenty of reasons not to. My two close friends have moved now in two different places in the country, so we're, we're spread out by thousands of miles. We talk probably three or four times a week, at, at least. Um, we work to see each other twice uh, a year, um, and, and we've gotten to the point where we've done that enough that we, we actually plan these times and we communicate, we celebrate together, um, and then we've actually, because we're guys and we can spend three days, you know, talking about, you know, things that guys talk about and then have our wives say, well, what's going on in their life? And we say, I don't know, we didn't get there, you know, right? It's, we only had three days together, right? So we've gotten more strategic in, in how we do this. And we've, we've put together a, a list of questions that we ask each other. Um, we type them, we fill them out ahead of time. And we send them to each other, and, we, uh, and then we uh, sort of take about, I don't know, a couple hours on each one, put them on the hot seat, and we go through the questions and the responses. Our way of trying to strategically build that kind of sharpening relationship with each other. And as I thought about that, I, I thought, maybe, maybe I'll make that resource available to you if, if you'd like it. So um, up on the screen is an email. If you'd like to see what those questions are, I'm not giving you my answers by any means, but if you'd like to see the questions that we ask each other and that we respond to, I would be happy to send those to you. So um, I can do it by way of email. All you got to do is just put in the subject line questions, and that's all you need to do, and I'll, I'll fire them back to you this week. The third question for us to consider is, what are you doing with your friendship with Jesus? You know, in, in, in Scripture, when God talks about relationship, he talks about a bride and a groom, and he talks about being our friend. It's an amazing thing to think. In John 17, 3, when Jesus is praying for his followers, and he says, I pray that they may have eternal life, and then he defines eternal life, and as far as I can tell, it's the only place Jesus defines eternal life. And he says this, eternal life is that they may know you, and, and that they may know me, the one you have sent. And that word know is not a knowledge by information. It's knowledge by acquaintance. It's coming into a relationship that you're invited to be, have with God. A relationship in which he's choosing you as you're choosing him. A relationship in which he is sharing his heart with you. 
that his Holy Spirit is correcting, and that he is drawing you to himself. I'd ask you this morning, if you've not yet done that, to realize the invitation stands. God wants that kind of relationship with you. And that in turn allows us to be the person we desire to be, live with the kind of hope and the purpose that we desire to have. I'd like to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Eden. I thank you for those gathered here in whom I, I know, I know you're doing a work. And Father, I pray for anyone here in, in these moments that are considering whether it's true that they can ex- move beyond just knowledge about you into a relationship with you, into that kind of intimacy and love. I pray right now that they would just know in their heart, it's true. It's, it's an offer. It is made through Jesus. And they might give themselves to that. And Father, for all of us, we want to be the men and women that you have called us to be. And so, Lord, as we consider the importance of relationships, help us to, to be strategic and careful and thoughtful about the relationships we choose, and then help us to live more frequently in consideration of the kind of friend that we are being to those that you place in our lives. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name.